Listeners of Affect Autism and Parent Perspectives get 25% off my upcoming course, DIR 120, Choosing Play, Setting Up Success Across the Lifespan, using the promo code 2023-WE-CHOSE-PLAY-25. That's 2023-W-E-C-H-O-S-E-P-L-A-Y-2-5. Live online Fridays from noon until 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, starting Friday, November 3rd, going through to December 15th, with no class the week of American Thanksgiving. In this six-week course, participants will review season one of my floor time documentary, We Chose Play, and discuss each episode, including review, Q&A, reflection, and action steps to support your floor time experience. Parent Perspectives, a new podcast from Affect Autism. Welcome, everybody. I am Daria Brown, and I am super excited for this edition of Parent Perspectives to have our second parent panel. Rebecca is with us from North Carolina. Her occupational therapist's suggestion of Dr. Greenspan's work is what led her to the International Council on Development and Learning's weekly parent support calls that I facilitate and to taking DIR 101, an introduction to DIR and DIR floor time, the developmental individual differences relationship-based model, two places where she first experienced some hope for her family's journey. Her DIR home program with Kashina Holder and Dr. Karen Levine's play-based approach to fears and phobias were tremendous supports for her family. She has the wisdom of all of her years in public school teaching and administration, and the experience of parenting multiple children. This applies to many listeners as well. She also wrote a lovely news flash for ICDL recently entitled, I Wish, A Parent's Thank You, which I will link to in the blog post. Rebecca, what an incredible advocate, welcome. Thank you for that introduction, Daria. And I just wanted to add that I'm here sporting a couple of Band-Aids to uh, deal with some skin cancer stuff. So just let people oh. know that. <laughs> and, and you know, it, one challenge after another, it seems, in our worlds, isn't it? <laughs> for sure, for sure. We also have Amanda in Florida, who is not only a mother of two autistic boys, who did attend Dr. Jolene Fernald's DIR Floor Time School in Florida, but she's also a breast cancer survivor who homeschooled her sons before finding the DIR school and is currently homeschooling again, all while in a graduate program to become a licensed mental health counselor and DIR provider. She is a self-proclaimed huge fan of my podcast, Affect Autism, and DIR Floor Time has been life-changing for her family. Amanda, you are a real powerhouse. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Daria. And Maria is located in Toronto, right near me, and she took the initiative to find services for her child and family during COVID when nothing else was available, and she found ICDL's DIR Home program. She had the courage to film herself playing with her child and to be coached, and watched the changes happen. English is her second language, and she is in Canada without any extended family, so this is also the experience of many parents who listen. Maria, you have helped discover your child's cues and support him every day. You are an incredible mother. Welcome. Thank you, Laria. Thank you for having me. We also have, she's running a bit late, but she'll be hopping on, Michelle Abraham Montgomery, also known as Shell. She has the wisdom of a mother whose child is now a grown adult self-advocate 
and her experiences described in our past podcast, which I'll link to in this week's blog post. She advocated for her son because she rejected the negative narratives she was receiving. She is a warrior. She also represents the voice of someone underrepresented in the world of autism professionals. Yes, you don't need letters to be a professional. Her work in advocacy for the city of Philadelphia and all she does is beyond professional. So thank you to Shell, who will be here momentarily. So I'm so thrilled to have all of you here. Uh, I thought maybe you could give a little description of your family and whatever you're comfortable sharing, the history and how you came across floor time. We'll start with Rebecca. So I think I'll start back at like when my son was three months old. Um, he was born the week before the world locked down for a little bit of context. So literally the very end of February. So everything became immensely more complicated. I'm an older mom. It was really, really hard because I was really looking forward to connection with other moms and things just felt, it's hard when I look back to see how much of it was that the world was going through its own sort of brand new experience and how much of it was me having spent most of my life not being a mother. I mean, I, I knew that was going to feel different, but when things really, um, kind of shifted to feeling like something was going on with my, with our son was at three months, he just sort of abruptly stopped breastfeeding. Um, everything that people were suggesting to me didn't work. And at the same time, we were sort of presenting concerns to the pediatrician and getting the consistent, everything's fine. The communication milestones, like the engagement, the the sort of back and forth. Now I know some of the DIR language and I, I we talk about it, how much more confident we would have been in presenting what we felt just wasn't clicking in the same way. I finally just reached out to someone I knew from business coaching because I knew she worked with little ones as a speech language pathologist. And um, she started doing it. It's the pandemic. Everything's completely closed. And, and even if it were open, it was scary to go into it. And we chose not to for the sake of having you know, a very young child and no one really knew. So she was willing to do the sort of um, coaching us. Let me tell you how humbling that was because I spent my life in education and then I'm getting feedback um, about how too much language for him or, to, you know, we're big talkers, my husband and I. So we're sitting here kind of, you know, and being coached to sing with my child. And I, I've sung with thousands of kids. I've taught hundreds of kids to read. Right. So all of a sudden I'm in this like this isn't clicking for, <laughs> this really isn't clicking for my own baby. It was really, really hard emotionally. Um, and at some point, I would say maybe four or five months, he was definitely, let me restate that, we were making progress <laughs> because um, it's funny, you know, the way we started the journey is the way we're still on the journey. And what I mean by that is it's still all entirely about our learning. Um, and that goes for all of our kids, right? Much more so than like anything. That it's really what we're learning and what we're shifting in the environment. And so we were learning. <laughs> and so the outcomes were showing and his progress but she said to us at one point, she said, you know, I, we were getting ready to go to my family's for the first, he was going to meet his grandparents who were almost 90 for the first time. And we were going on this long car trip. And she said, while you're going, why don't you and Michael, my husband, just listen to um, this book. And I'm going to forget the title right now, but the sensory child, the out of sync child. I remember thinking, gosh, what an awful title. Like, I don't really like calling something out of sync, like calling a child out of sync, but I, I get the point. We listened to it, and this is where sort of our story takes a turn to integrate our older, one of our older children, is that we were probably on, I don't know, I-95 for an hour listening to this book 
where we both just like look at each other like what oh my goodness that's not just our three-year-old at that time it was 18 month old or 20 month old I guess that's also our at that time 10 year old like this is the whole kind of thing. So it was really, um, it was kind of one of those overwhelming, but also relieving because then you know what to sort of look into. Um, and so anyway, long story short, so thankful that this um, speech uh, language pathologist suggested the exact type of um, clinic that we should look to. And so we Googled, there was nothing in our area. And so we finally found something about an hour away from us in Durham. Um, and that clinic is, I hope it's okay for me to mention, I think they're, they're great. So just Emerge Pediatric um, and actually one of their, um, one of their, one of our OTs actually teaches DIR courses. We didn't know that at the time that we were going to land in the best hands possible. Um, but our, my youngest son's OT first time in the parking lot after session was like, you have to read Dr. Greenspan's book. And that just sort of started this whole trickle for us of Dr. Greenspan's book led us to looking, hunting on the internet, um, found Daria's support group calls, which were immensely valuable. And I would just be muted. I mean, we were just living in so much challenge with, with our sons at the time. It was like, I'd be muted, but I would be like, oh, this is so good. I'm going to look this up later. I'm going to read this. I'm going to understand this. And so I took, after that, I took the DIR 101 course um, and then I, I, we we can come back to this, but I just remember for the first time hearing a compassionate uh, on both of your both forums and your calls, Daria, and and with Jeff um, Jeffrey Gunzel taught the class that I took. Um, this sort of like really compassionate voice for parents and what our experience had been, um, and it wasn't compassionate in a way of saying like there's nothing for you to do or learn. It was compassionate in the reality that I felt like we were living. So anyway, that's how our journey started. And that 101 led us to um, the home program. And we were blessed to find Kashina Holder there. And, and honestly, spent most of the time working on our ability to co-regulate, working on our own sort of uh, process. And that's kind of where it continues today in, in our learning. I've done 201 and continued the learning here in our home. And but our boys have kind of a, we have a beautiful story with the now three-year-old and 13-year-old who we call ourselves a floor time family. And we often have their OTs will co-treat at times and we'll have them in a room. And so the 13-year-old learning strategies that are floor time based to play with the three-year-old is actually part of his plan and part of his support. Um, so it's just been, we just can't say enough, like, you know, amazing things about what DR has, has given us as a family. Oh, that's wonderful to hear, Rebecca. Um, I can, your story resonates with me as well. Let me go on to Maria next in Toronto. Tell us about your experience. So my son is now six years. Uh, when What it triggered at the beginning, uh, me seeking for help, was when we started taking him to the early on, which is a program in Toronto to kind of start the like social baby time. And at that time he was two years. And I remember one of the people there in charge told us, oh, maybe we, you should put him on a wait list to, to get some speech uh, therapy. It seems there, you know, from my experience, it could help. So she was very nice in telling us that. At that time, like we said, okay, let's just put him on the wait list. We waited for a few months. He was not, uh, I mean, everything else, 
he was meeting kind of his developmental milestones, but not in terms of speech. Uh, and we were thinking maybe it's because I speak to him in Spanish and his dad speaks to him in Punjabi and then everybody else speaks to him in English. So that is something I expected. But then as the demands started to increase when he started, we wanted to send him to kindergarten, first preschool. Um, and the first weeks, the teachers there told, told me, Maria, your son needs some additional help. We might not be able to support him if you can find one teacher that can be with him in the during the day. Then he's he seems interested in learning, but we need that extra extra help. Um, he was not sitting in, in circle time. I thought he's still small, still three years. He he will eventually, um, you know, um, get get to his attention to, to what the teachers want to teach him. I didn't really have any, at that point, any knowledge of autism, any knowledge of, I just knew that he needed to start school and uh, some, uh, we didn't have the diagnosis at that time either. But um, then COVID hit after, after a couple of weeks that he had started going to school. Uh, and then, we, we didn't know what to do. Uh, the teachers also said like, oh, let's connect for a few times through Zoom with the three-year-old kids and see how they chat with each other, see if they, we can see do some activity together. Then they sent me like, uh, ask your son uh, what's his favorite animal, what his, to show his favorite toy on the screen. These small things that you are supposed to, you know, like, it, you should expect from a three-year-old and then the day the night before I remember preparing my son oh you will tell your full name you will you will show your favorite toy this is your favorite toy <laughs> kind of leaving him what what he will answer and then at that time in the Zoom really short Zoom meeting other kids started to doing their own thing and I was like okay now it's time for for my son and then he said the whole kind of, he said like a whole speech written the night before that I didn't intend to, like he said, my name is this, and this is my favorite toy. And this is like, he said the whole thing without waiting for the questions to, to come for him. And I was like, why is he doing that? Like, why he's not waiting for the back and forth, right? Like at that time I was like, something is off with him. Um, I finally took the courage to call for a to call our family doctor and and then she referred us finally to a developmental pediatrician. And I remember at the top of the list of the resources that she sent me, it was the ICDLDIR floor time. Uh, I mean the website, right? The ICD website. And from there, I just went and then I found you guys. I found the home. Uh, parent uh, coaching program. Uh, I found the this meet, the parent meetings with you, Daria. And then it's been four years since that, since then. What I have seen is that at the beginning, my son was like doing a lot of echolalia, they call it. And 
for us it was like okay he's just repeating he's speaking he's saying something so for us it was okay and then we never like I think I rem remember having like a consultation with a, another SLP and she was like oh you can you can do this some strategies something similar to floor time and when we started floor time we connected with Colette Ryan for the home parent uh, coaching program that lasted 12 weeks and it all clicked in and in the sense that okay we we now see what we are doing wrong in the way we are trying to we are talking too fast to my son and he kind of is like you need to slow down that was one of the first things that that uh, Colette mentioned from the videos that that she saw about us playing and also that I was too directive in in the way I wanted to direct the play I wanted to to tell my son okay let's play hide and seek and I I lead the whole thing and he was like mm, whining like you know moving like stepping <laughs> like I was trying to promote let's let's record us playing and I want to show how we play but it's not really him engaged <laughs> I remember let's solve this puzzle and it's like okay now this piece and I was pushing the piece for him <laughs> and not letting him have his own ideas and really you know um, let him explore and you know having like letting me uh, step back and letting him take the lead on how he wanted to play. So that was the big, um, um, one of the big uh, eye-opening ideas that I received from the home parent coaching program by being patient and not forcing him and not really like giving him a script or something. To, like little by little, he's now at that stage, he's almost turning uh, seven uh, at the end of the year and he, I can see a lot of development in, in how he relates now with other people. And so in his development, say, I still hear some echolalia, for example, but my lenses already changed from, I, I know he is trying to communicate. I know he's telling me, I am acknowledging that you told me something. It's his way of saying, I am acknowledging you, but I don't know how to, how to answer to that. So that's why he repeats sometimes the last part of, what I told him or what my husband tells him, right? So it's not like we are looking from some SLP's perspective to let's disappear the echolalia completely. No, it's like it's communication for him. And he's letting me know he he's trying to respond, but he doesn't know yet what to respond or what to how to carry on the conversation. Trying to explain this to 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 the teachers, Colette also not only coaches coached us, but also the teachers. And that really, I think that really helped my son um, to stay the whole cycle of the first, it's two years in the Montessori classroom. I really saw he made a lot of progress. Uh, academically, they advanced him more than what I was expecting and then made him ready for starting grade one last year. So yeah, we cannot be happier with what we have learned. And I know it's a long way ahead. I hear you guys talking about adolescence and I am trying to kind of 
start getting ready and learning from you guys. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Maria. Let's go to Amanda. Hi. Um, yeah, so I have two boys who are both autistic. They are nine and going to be seven soon. We kind of same experience Rebecca had. We kept questioning, asking, you know, how many words should you be saying? You know, all those kind of things. And we just kept getting dismissed. We'd get vague answers, you know. And then finally, I sought second opinion with a different pediatrician within the group. I just went to a whole different office. And that doctor walked in through a tongue depressor across the room to gauge his reaction and knew in five seconds something was different about him. And um, so that was rather frustrating to have gone, you know, seen several doctors and then this one guy just walks in and knows. Um, and we ended up having that same experience with my youngest as well, but I'll get there. So um, that doctor sent us for speech and occupational therapy evaluation. So we learned a month before he turned four that he was two plus years delayed, which was absolutely devastating at the time. And then it took a while to get a formal autism evaluation. So he was five and a half by the time we had an official diagnosis. Um, and thankfully we had chosen to homeschool. So we had not dealt with you know, the school system and that with him being of age for kindergarten. Uh, so then with my youngest, my boys are two and a half years apart. So uh, we thought he was neurotypical. He was completely different than big brother. They presented differently. I always say that they are the epitome of, they are no two autistic people who are the same. And he was verbal. He was crawling at seven months old. Like he was just on the go constantly. Um, and then as he got a little older, there were a couple different incidents that were rather life-threatening. He nearly drowned at a year and a half. Um, then when he was about three and a half, he ran out into a major highway at night. Um, fortunately, somebody saw him. He turned around and ran back and didn't get ran over. Um, but after that second incident, someone suggested, hey, you know, maybe you should get him evaluated because he clearly has no awareness of danger. So back to that other pediatrician's office we went and sure enough, he walked in through a tongue depressor across the room to see the same, to gauge his reaction. And I've, you know, I'm looking at it and I didn't quite understand then, you know, what he was doing. Now it makes sense, but, um, and so then we left again with speech and occupational therapy evaluations only to find out that he was also two years delayed. Um, so that kind of caught us off guard and we were able to get in much sooner to get him in an autism evaluation. So he was turning, he turned four the week that we got his evaluation back, um, that he was autistic. And with him, I felt going into it, you know, if he was, he was, if he wasn't, he wasn't, at least we knew what we were dealing with and how to help him. And so I had, you know, my husband and my mother were kind of shocked and upset about it. And I'm just like, oh, great. I don't have to figure out how to parent an autistic kid and a neurotypical kid. Now I can, you know, parent them the same way. This is great. Um, so we had been with a speech and occupational clinic for three and a half years before we said goodbye to them. Um, so 2018 is when we initially had 
evaluations for my oldest. Um, and then 2019, at the end of 2019, he was diagnosed. So then we went into 2020 and couldn't really do anything. So that saved us from getting involved in full-time ABA. Uh, and then in 2021, there were just some behaviors and different things going on. Uh, so I started looking into play therapy. I met with somebody, they really just didn't get an offer what I was looking for. So I just simply shared in a special needs local Facebook group and asked if anyone had any recommendations for a play therapist. And that's when Dr. Jolene Fernald commented and she was like, well, it's not really play therapy, but I think I might be able to help you. So I was like, okay, you know, why not? So we checked it out and the rest was history. Um, so we did our speech and our OT with the other clinic and then we go see her for floor time once a week until we all ended up with COVID and we're home for three weeks. So we had nothing and we're all home and now it's time to get back to life. And I'm all excited about, we're going to see these other therapists who, you know, we've seen them for three and a half years, every week, twice a week. And my kids were like, no, we don't like them. We don't want to go. And I'm like taken back by this. And so it, at that point, it really just kind of instantly hit me. And I recognized that they had been trying to communicate to us that they were unhappy. I started, you know, all the little red flags that I had in the back of my mind, they all just kind of went together. And we, you know, heartbroken, we split ways with the other clinic. And we now do all of our speech and OT with Jolene and her team. Um, she also has a DIR school, which Daria mentioned my boys attended. Um, initially we did homeschool and then upon my cancer diagnosis and treatment, uh, we were able to use scholarship funds that we had to uh, have the boys go to Jolene's school for last school year. Um, and that was amazing for them. And now this year we are back to homeschooling. So, but that is how we found uh, floor time. And like you've shared already, it's been life-changing and I look forward to sharing more as we talk. Thank you so much, Amanda. Okay. And now we will go to Shell. Shell, welcome. I know that you shared your story in our past podcast. I hope people will go and listen to it because it's a phenomenal two-part podcast with both Shell and her son, Kylil, who is a grown self-advocate. He's incredible. Their story is amazing. Uh, Shell talked about the challenges of of her child, as well as his sister who had presented with other different differences and challenges. And now she has the experience of being a grandmother to an autistic boy. And so I will let you explain, uh, you know, this kind of second wave, let's say, of experiencing autism. Yes, thank you so much, Daria, for allowing me to uh, be here and share my story. And I'm super excited about uh, being here and now as a, I like to say, glam mom, <laughs> uh, just sharing, you know, trying to uh, find my lane. Um, being a grandparent, um, even though, you know, you feel like because you've already gone through this journey with your child, but um, it's more of now trying to be in the backseat and kind of help them take the lead. And I am like super proud of my daughter. She has so much 
wisdom and knowledge um, because she basically was like a co-caretaker of Khalil, of her brother. And she was with him majority of the time more than I was. And so um, just watching her now take the lead as a mom, it just makes my heart smile so much. Um, I just have to keep remembering to offer uh, suggestions and to basically um, ask her what does she think about things and allowing her to find her way. Um, and that is so important because we want to first and foremost respect the fact that our children are now adults and allowing them to take the lead. You know, um, that was the hardest part, I think, of everything because I now had to learn how to control impulse, right? Impulse control for myself because so many times I found myself wanting to jump in and wanting to say, do this and do that. Um, and I had to always stop, you know, I call it fast forward. Whenever I wanted to do something, I would stop, fast forward it and see how that would look and to think if she didn't like what I was saying or if that's not the way she wanted to go, would that cause a rift? in my now relationship with her. And so that being able to fast forward and now think I want to stay in my lane. I want to first and foremost, make sure that my relationship and my responsibility comes first with my daughter and as a support person with my grandson. But um, just now learning how to put a pause on my warrior hat and opposed to, you know, wanting to jump in and step in and take the lead saying, well, um, I know that you saw, I did some of these things with your brother, but what do you think about that for your son? Would you like to use some of those tools or would you like to do it differently? How can I support you is what I have to remember to say. And I will say that, you know, there's been a few things mentioned here, Jolene Fernald, Dr. Jolene Fernald, um, and, you know, Colette Ryan and Kashina Holder. And these resources will be linked to in the blog post at affectautism.com. So listeners, viewers on YouTube, if you want to look it up, uh, go to the blog post. Shell, I just wanted to ask, um, I, again, for those that haven't seen the podcast with Shell, I encourage you to go back and look. She talked about her story raising Kylil and having so many people against her being told to put Kylil in a home, just nobody believing in his potential like she did and, you know, triumph and going through and, you know, really advocating for him. And in, in the last number of years, being an advocate and being in a position where she is an advocate and um, does visits, does visits to families in Philadelphia and um, helps support them. And so much of her professional work it's all related to autism. And I was wondering what of your professional work in working with so many families and helping be that liaison between either the school and the family or the hospital and the family or the residential center and the family, um, how has that influenced the way you look at things compared to, you know, where you were? Like, did I, I can't imagine you would have seen where your life would have gone. <laughs> so, I love that question. And um, wow, it's like, so um, just before I answer that, I want to share, I, as you were saying, like, wear so many hats. And so even with the work that I do, 
Um, I myself have, I go to therapy once a week to just try to process what's going on because sometimes our life get mixed into other people's lives and the people that we support lives and different things. And it's hard to um, disseminate like who is doing what and who to give what. And sometimes um, our emotions get complex and the things that, you know, we're feeling from part A now gets taken to part B, but disseminated in part C, right? And what I learned was that because I have a mom's hat and then I have a, a provider's hat and then I have, you know, a friend's hat and like as a peer, when I'm talking to parents and let's say I'm talking to um, a professional, another professional about a family and I'm, they're asking me a question, my mom has come on and all of that, they start giving me the answer. So then I'm hearing the answer in the background. I was like, it was a breath of fresh air when my therapist was saying, Michelle, everything is okay, but your brain processes from different places and from these different hats. And that now, you know, it's just a matter of listening to the information that you hear in your head and figuring out which hat is giving it to you. And that was like amazing to me because as a mom, you know, I want to make sure that my voice is being heard, um, respected. But the thing is, is that now as a grandmom, I'm going to from, from being in the forefront to now being transparent. And that was like, wow. So I'm kind of like switching the roles from, always wanting to be seen to not being seen, but still making sure that the things that I have to offer is heard, honored and respected as well. And so we have to just learn how to stay in our lane. And when it's time to go in that lane, sometimes we have to ask permission from the other person before we do it, because we wanna be respectful at all times. I love the imagery when you speak, Shell, and, and the way you describe things and the way you've learned to organize them and everything has been so helpful to me. So thank you. And again, I'm going to say for like the 10th time or whatever, listen to those podcasts that I did with Shell and Kylil for sure. Um, I really love how Shell's approach, although she didn't come from the floor time perspective, is all the same principles as we do in floor time. And we talk about that in the past podcast too. Uh, I wanted to circle back to Rebecca because you've now listened to the other three introductions and things must have been coming into your mind as you listened. And and I'm, I'm wondering what thoughts you were yeah. having. Well, you read my mind though, because when Michelle started talking about the gestational stages that you're going through, thank you. Um, I turned 50 in like four weeks. And so I think you just helped me clarify, Michelle, why the most important part, the most revolutionary, evolutionary part of floor time is for me. And I think it's that it takes, it's, it's built on the foundation that we're all continually going through stages. That's it. Like somehow when you said it that way, I've known it, you know, like um, my husband and I both have done leadership coaching and development for over a couple decades now in public schools. And then we both, you know, have worked outside of that, that, um, that realm. And we talk a lot about adult development and it's a big thing. I felt like when I say like 
the reason floor time gave me hope, I I was completely at odds with most other approaches that I felt like stood back from the child, kind of saying like, they're the one going through stages, you're good. Like, and, and what I was saying earlier is like, no, like actually this is a humbling experience if you allow it, if you allow what you're actually getting out of floor time to say like, like we're all supposed to be moving. And so um, one of the things I thought about talking about when, you know, with this, this panel was the idea of how powerful the play is for me. Cause we don't really like, I'll speak for myself. I taught little children from the time I was like 18 years old. I've been in classrooms, but I, so if you would have told me you're going to learn how to play in a different way, I would have been like, I've, I've been playing for years. Like I would, if you would have told me that's what you're going to get with like DIR floor time. No, it's a different way of playing because now that, and I still feel like Kashina would say to us, our parent coach would say like, you understand. And I'd be like, no, I, I don't understand yet. And I wasn't saying like, you need to be at a mastery level. What I was really getting at was like, no, this is new. Like, it's a good thing for it to be new because in schools and in life, like our culture tends to approach this like linear, linear, check, check, check. Okay. Check, check, check. You're done. You got the diploma. You're done. And so I think, thank you for that, Michelle. Cause I think like that idea that we're all still growing, I think that for my husband and I, you know, that's part that's why we'll say we're a floor time family the whole the foundational part of it and I haven't studied it but I know that Greenspan has levels going all the way through that map onto all other kinds of adult development frameworks and so um being an older parent I felt like I feel like floor time comes in and sort of gives our family something that we're like all growing into versus like think about it culturally i mean it's more it's more common for women to have babies later in life than it used to be that's for sure but you're still kind of the, like i'm literally like when i look at facebook everybody's with their grandchildren which is exactly where i thought i would be but as life had it here i am with my first child at the same age as everybody else with their grandchildren so it's like you kind of get this weird sense of you're done kind of a thing. And and my husband and I have said, like, it keeps us young. Like it keeps us in the framework of like, back to the humility, back to the, what am I learning back to the, yeah, I, I think the way you said it best, like the gestational stages. So that there's a lot of what everybody said that I was relating to, but that just sort of clarified for me why I think we've been, we've basically reorganized most of our lives around it to be like, no, that doesn't mean we're doing it. I, I was first to say like, no, I still don't understand. Like it's not a mastery thing, but it's a, like, it's a prioritization thing. We drive every week for two hours back and forth to get to a place that does floor time because we're not willing to do something else at this point. That's the, that's the alignment at the same time. Um, I, I've said this recently to a few other parents we're also thrilled to have found schools that may not be DIR, but that are relationally focused. Like, so looking for that foundation. And I think that goes back to what you're saying, Daria. It's like, it's not so much about it being DIR. It's what is at the heart of it, right? In those three letters of DIR um, and relationship, I think, is the first one I look for now. And I've, I've shared a couple of times on calls in, in your group, Daria, that as a former teacher and a principal, I, I realize now like so much of what I was advocating for then, it was really on the front lines taking on a lot of systemic battles. Like it was not easy. And in hindsight, looking back, I can see what I was advocating for was moving towards focusing on development, 
developmental framework, not saying check, 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 have they reached this, have they reached that, are they honors, are they this, cat all the categorization instead of looking at it as those those life stages and developmentally. And then the individual differences. And but again, most importantly, the relationship focus. I think everything else can kind of grow out of that if you find um if you find the heart of how we want to feel and how we want our kids to feel. Oh my goodness, Rebecca, I loved your um comment and it just helped me to um, just do a flashback of my life and to think. And I think that if we as parents, you know, like think about it and our life has all, all of our lives have aligned us and set us up for where we are now. Um, I worked for the school district as well. Um, I started off in the classroom assistant and then as a, um, uh, student advisor and then a school support um, what is that? Uh, so school improvement support liaison, but all of the positions that I had set me up just to become knowledgeable for right now where I am. And I, and I think back to like, um, when I was a student advisor and I'm thinking like, um, I was the voice for the students, you know, I would advise them on if they were getting in trouble, what to do. I would go with them into the principal office and support them. And uh, I remember that there was um, one of the youth I was working with that had freckles and the kids were picking on her. And so what I would do is when I would come into work, um, I would draw a, a, a butterfly or a rainbow or something on my face so that now the attention was drawn to me. And at first the kids, you know, kind of teased, but then it was like, oh, tomorrow, can you draw this on your face? Or can you draw that where they was requesting? And all of a sudden they started, they went from rejecting it to accepting it. And so like, you know, even through studies and when I do parent coaching, I'll tell parents that the stages of acceptance begins with rejection. And so it's okay when you or someone rejects things. It's like, let's say, for example, you found out you're diagnosed with something. The first thing you're going to say is not me. And then you do some research and then you may come into awareness of it. And some people never get to the acceptance stage, forget about embracing it. But the thing is, is that a lot of times, especially in families, um, and when I do the elephant in the room, having those challenging conversations after the diagnosis um, segment with families, it's like helping everyone in the family to understand it's okay if your opinion is not aligned with everyone else. It's okay if your partner is not on the same page with you in the beginning about the diagnosis, the, the key is keeping the door open for when they're ready, whenever they're ready. Being able to still show empathy for them, even though, you know, it might seem like one parent is doing all the work. And it's like, even with my son, with Khalil, Khalil's father was not on board, you know, and it wasn't until Khalil was graduating from high school with a 3.7 grade point average. And now he's standing up where, you know, his chest raised and yeah, that's my son. He has autism. And I'm looking for a brick for a stick. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, where have you been all this time? And, but it wasn't until later that I learned, you know, I should have kept the door open, you know, instead of trying to make him accept it because he did eventually, but that would have been less of the conflict that me and him had 
if I would have said, listen, I know this is a, you know, kind of a tough pill to swallow, you know, and let's just get educated about it. And if we would have, if I, I think would have been more loving towards him, um, that our relationship might've been different. You know, it wasn't until we were in our late thirties that we actually were able to become friends, you know, because we were butting heads and arguing the whole time, almost of Khalil's life about the diagnosis that we couldn't see how we could partner and support each other while supporting him. Very powerful words. Thank you, Shell. Um, I wanted to go to Maria to talk about your experience in, well, a couple of things. You mentioned, a few of us mentioned how it's, it is more about our learning. Uh, it's always the focus is on the child. Like, oh, the child has the diagnosis. We have to give the child this therapy. We have to do this and that for the child. When really it's about changing ourselves to be able to connect with our kids. And you described that, Maria, how you had to learn, like the echolalia was your child communicating with you and you were accepting of that. Yeah, I um, if I was... Um, going to, you know, at that time, um, considering, <laughs> I I know very little about autism, and I thought, okay, I need to take him to the therapy as early as possible, and they will fix my child. <laughs> they will fix whatever is wrong with him, with his, with the way he talks, the way he is behind in this and that, and the way he's picky at certain things, the way he repeats um, himself or wants us to create rituals that he leads for whatever activity, even just entering a space like how the door should be open or closed at the beginning before we arrive. And then we have to, if someone is coming, we have to wait till that person uh, leaves and the door again closes completely and then we can enter. Those things like I was like, someone will explain to me and probably the rule will have been like very different uh, than if I have done what we learned from from the parent uh, the coaching program because we 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 really started learning about relationship like the importance of the relationship is kind of like picking my battles like what how to set limits for him like when we had to hurry up because we had to go to school at a certain time but at the same time making it playful like I don't know you don't want to wear your socks oh maybe your socks go in the hand let me see and then play like putting the sock in my hand and playing a little bit more like giving it time for him to kind of uh, uh, let him lead and at the same time rushing a little bit <laughs> <laughs> to get on time to school, all these uh, uh, kind of ideas that otherwise would not have come to me if I had in a state of stress and demand and not uh, also listening to my my feelings, like my own fears, like because my personality is a little bit more like also people pleaser and trying to do everything correct like being always on time so for letting that those things go as well and picking my battles like I said and let the relationship be the most important thing with my son like mm, I think I would 
really be a completely different parent if I had, if my son had not had that diagnosis and also that the tools like floor time itself, like I would be really like author authority parent kind of style because that's how I was raised and that's the tradition and that's how I, that's all I knew, right? So yeah, it really, it really changed many aspects as well as to my husband, like he's, if my either parent uh, style, mine was other, him was twice as much. He came from a traditional Indian family, and even at uh, sometimes I can hear how he wants him to in school, for example, let all be academics, like all strict, and how much is two, two times two and four times, like all kind of asking him, and I tell him, please don't ask this to him. Let him, you know. He knows probably the answer. He will tell you the wrong answer just to be playful. And you need to kind of <laughs> tune in more to him, right? So sometimes we we kind of argue with these things, uh, my husband and I. Um, but the two of us learn a lot, like have learned a lot from, from the, compared to where we started. Um, and... I maybe I'm repetitive, but yeah, really also understanding not just the relationship part, but also like what difference he has, the sensory profile of my of my son, which we really had no clue in the beginning, like why he sometimes reacts in this way, why he doesn't like too much light, why all these things, it was like a explain, it explained, it made sense in our head also, like okay, this is why he's reacting in X or Y way in certain situations. Yeah. I don't know what thank, else. Thank, no, this. thank you so much. And, you know, it reminded me of something I wanted to say from your introduction, which was that you speak Spanish with your child and your husband speaks Punjabi with your child. And Dr. Greenspan talked about that, uh, how important it is for the parents to speak in their native languages, because that's where your natural affect comes out. And that will support the relationship. And a lot of people think, oh, it's going to be too confusing, the different languages. But it, yeah, it's not. It's they pick it up and they assimilate it and eventually it gets sorted out. But to have, I, I mean, I hear it echoing in the last parent podcast and in this parent podcast, relationship, relationship, relationship. That's the heart of DIR floor time. I'm going to refer people to the parenting styles podcast that I did uh, with Gabriella. Um, and it, she talked about different types of parenting. And yeah, sometimes, you know, we parent the way we were parented and, and in, you know, we were a range of, of ages here um, with Amanda being our youngest. Uh, but still, even so, all of our parents, I think, generally had that behaviorism in the culture at the time and that's slowly shifting to more developmental parenting approaches and, and so thank you for sharing that maria um amanda uh will let you talk about your experience um in whatever all of the stuff that you've heard from everybody else what were you thinking about all of that time um yeah so dir has changed our parenting as well um, it's helped us to reframe how we think about our boys' diagnosis. You know, I had said that at one point we were devastated and now, you know, we see the beauty in the journey and we see their strengths and we see um, why they do what they do. And, 
you know, when everything makes sense, it's a lot more tolerable and easier to understand them and to support them when you don't feel like you're, you're a target and your child is just out to get you, which sometimes it can feel that way. Um, but when you stop and you kind of think of the different mantras that we pick up in DIR floor time, like, you know, behavior is communication and connection before correction, or um, what's the other one that I was just thinking um, about how, you know, connection and attunement are what's important, not compliance. And uh, just learning those different things from, you know, different people that you've had on the pod podcast or uh, reading different books that are part of the developmental world has just been an amazing shift. And uh, Jolene, you know, helped in me learning more about the differences because the prior clinic that we had gone to used ABA methods. And while I, ABA kind of, you know, gave me that feeling in the pit of my stomach to where I just, you know, we didn't do it. Um, they were the experts. That's all I knew. And I trusted them and we did what they said. And sometimes it was like, mm, I don't know. And other times it made sense and we saw progress. So it was this, you know, back and forth kind of thing. But as our time with Jolene continued, and then, you know, your podcast has been another instrument and in all of my learning. I couldn't go to school for the longest time. So I like made it a goal to listen to all of Daria's podcasts. I can't tell you how many I've listened to, but it was like, all right, Daria's DIR school um, for me. But I happened upon peaceful parenting around the same time. And I remember telling Jolene, you know, it's like DIR parenting. And, you know, as I've learned and grown and developed and all of that, I figured it out. It's the approach. It's the framework. It's looking at things from development and neuroscience and just how everything works. And yeah, so it's definitely shaped our parenting and our mindset and the way we do things like every, you know, others have said. Rebecca's talked a lot about, you know, the list and check marking milestones and whatnot. And, you know, for parents who are new to floor time or thinking about floor time, like, forget the list, forget the checklist. You just have to trust the process. And as the process, you know, as time goes, you're going to see the, the wins. You're going to see the things that they didn't used to do. My, one of my children used to line up his little figurines to watch his show with him. Well, now him and his brother are using those same figurines and creating narratives and they're actually having imaginative play. And, you know, that's how you kind of quantify it is, you know, I have a picture of him with those figures all lined up. And then I have a video of them sitting playing for 30 minutes, which is absolutely huge. And, but yeah, just trust the process. And let me just, can I add something? You just reminded me of something really quickly. I love how in floor time, the answer goes back to play. So back to another one of Daria's wonderful support calls. Um, people, ourse ourselves included as parents, frustrated with things like toothbrushing and things like that, where there might be a gazillion checklist or ways to do it that are faster. And here's Dr. Karen Levine with the replays, play your way through it. And so I, I would just say to any new parents who think like, but this, but this, but this, but this, this, I, it makes me feel better if there's a linear, I get that. That's kind of how our whole culture has tended to, 
engage, but this helps us, somebody said it, put the kids or the teachers in a way. And we've basically played our way from having to chase our three-year-old through the house with the toothbrush to he'll stand there with two toothbrushes. I think I showed you a video of it, Daria, where he's just like, you know, and that happened from play and being like back to the humility and being silly as can be. Like if you could see some of the videos of me, like acting afraid of my own toothbrush and then dad acting afraid and, you know, giving him haircuts, we do the same thing. I cut dad's hair in front of him. Don't, I mean, don't tell him I'm good. It's the whole thing, you know, since COVID we've learned how to do so much, but, but we've played our way through that. And that, to me, that's what I, the play has been so healing for us in so many ways to be like, this is not, a, it's not a, it's just, it's just so counter to what we've typically learned about how to back to what you just said, Amanda, it's like, it's not, you don't know when it's going to happen. I think that's the hard part, but all of a sudden you look up and you're like, what? Okay. Washing the hands now without screaming about the water. Okay. You know, and so it's not, it's not on a timeline and it doesn't have a bunch of checklists, but it comes from the heart and it makes the process of getting there actually joyful, <laughs> no matter what the problem feels like. I think the DIR sort of universe, <laughs> if you will, of all, there's all kinds of superheroes in the DIR and, and the beautiful part is DIR treats parents like superheroes, right? It is parent mediated, parent supported. You find all kinds of welcome and access in any of the courses and any of the calls. So I think every one of us is a superhero, but there are also these people that you can find if you dig around in the Daria's blog is the first place I think all of us have, have dug around and find a way to, 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 uh, to work towards what your goals are as a family. So it's just amazing. Yes. It, I, I just, you know, it's, it's so interesting to hear everybody's version of the stories because everybody's experiences are so different and we all find what works best for us. And even if our kids are going to schools that have behavioral approaches or, having services because that's what's funded that you have no control over. We can be that uh, pillar. I, I remember always hearing with big sisters and big brothers, they always said the person just needs one important mentor in their life. And that one important person, you know, is the the family unit, the parent that is the floor time approach, like really protecting that relationship sense of safety. And um, no matter what the world brings, uh, I think that gives a solid base for our kids and we watch them flourish and how much we learn from our children in this experience. So I want to thank you all so much for sharing everything uh, that you have shared today. I really appreciate it. I could talk to you guys for like 17 more hours. Um, but thank you listeners. Please check out the blog post at affectautism.com and I will put links to some of the resources we we talked about and referred to in the podcast. Thank you so much, everybody. Mm -hmm.